Hello there, you're listening to the Park Rush Podcast. This is a Thing Park Podcast. I'm Tom. Joining me, as ever, is Josh. Hello there, Tom. Hello there, Josh. How's it going? Very good, thank you. Yourself? Yes, not too bad, not too bad. Can't complain, as they say. How are you feeling a week on from the Jungle Cruise? You've let it stew. We had the review podcast. Yeah. Um, how is it is it it was brought back to me during the week about how i was hyped on it at the beginning of the podcast and then uh brought down a peg or two by the end of it oh what brought that back into your mind uh well someone who listens to the podcast mentioned it oh fine yeah well i'm sorry to have done that once again yeah because you know you were giddy like a schoolboy after the movie your eyes were lit up throughout i've never seen such joy on anyone's face it was oh and the idea that I've in some way compromised your enjoyment of the film keeps me up at night. If I if I put it just in the context of theme parks, it's up there. It's excellent. Yeah. But as soon as I contemplate it as um, a piece of cinematic history or something, <laughs> uh, it, it does uh, weaken a little. Well, yes. I mean, unfortunately, Josh... Even if Jungle Cruise was, let's say, your favourite film of the year so far in the cinemas, which I don't know if it is, but even if it was, I'm sorry to say that it's almost certainly going to be knocked off its perch this afternoon by one of Free Guy or Snake Eyes, both of which I'm sure are going to be fabulous cinema experiences yes, that I'm very much looking forward to. I'm expecting Snake Eyes to be top-notch cinema, Oscar-worthy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Sure. Free, free guys got Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi in it, right? So yeah, that's... you know, so there'll be a baseline level of like of chuckling. You yes. know, I'll chuckle three to four times at, at an absolute minimum. Yeah. Just as a sort of that their involvement in things kind of guarantees that level of chuckling. But hopefully that you know there's a bit more. You know, a belly laugh or two wouldn't go amiss. Wouldn't go amiss. Yeah. Well, our uh, Jungle Cruise theme park film review did in fact did indeed go up last week. So if you missed it. Go and check it out. But it did mean that we kind of stayed clear of other theme park news. We kind of saved it for this week. So we've got some stuff to talk about from kind of a week ago, as well as some stuff that is uh, from the last few days here. And I guess we'll just crack on, Josh. Yeah. And one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about last week that we touched on the week before was this Scarlett Johansson lawsuit. Oh, baby. Against Disney. Because she wasn't happy that Black Widow went straight or pretty much straight to Disney Plus. And she said basically it cost her upwards of, I think, $50 million because the majority of her Black Widow contract was based on its box office earnings and, and her view was that there was some there was some form of guarantee that it would be exclusively in cinemas for a, an extended period of time so that people didn't stay at home, watch it on Disney Plus and uh, theoretically, I suppose, uh, cost her money. Theoretically. So we touched on it a little bit two weeks ago because we were recording basically as the news broke. Yes. But much as Jungle Cruise has kind of stewed with you for the past week, this has kind of stewed with me for the past couple. And to be honest, I think uh, regardless of how you feel about Scarlett Johansson filing this lawsuit, you know, how much sympathy you might have for a you know, multi-million yes. dollar actor. A millionaire uh, losing millions is not a big deal to someone who uh, barely has thousands. Yeah, when you're living out of your uh, childhood bedroom still... Uh, actually, that's not strictly true, but the only reason I'm not living out of what I guess I would describe as my childhood bedroom is because my parents moved house. Yeah, you know, yeah. It wasn't anything to do with me. Uh, so This is one of two of my childhood bedrooms. Oh, OK. This one and the one next to it. Right, nice. Yeah. 
I, so I guess, you know, if anyone in a sort of mocking sense ever was to ask me, so you're still living in your childhood bedroom then, you loser? I could, on a technicality, say no. No. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. This is my uh, this is my sixth form onwards bedroom. Yeah. Thank you very much. Am I living in a bedroom owned by my parents still? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, as I say, I've kind of stewed on this, and my overriding feeling, uh, especially based on some of the reporting I've read about how people like Kevin Feige, who's like the head of Marvel yeah. Studios, feels about this, uh, and just kind of how it feels a bit like uh, you know Disney, the the Disney brand being. Yeah. dragged through the gutter somewhat how does Feige like, feel about this well i've read that he's he's a bit embarrassed by the whole thing because i think you know he has from what i've read he like he prides himself on having a pretty good relationship with with the all, all the talent involved the talent. in in the marvel movies yeah. whether it be the directors or the actors or or people beyond those and he i think yeah feels a little bit embarrassed by it because I, i'd imagine when he is mapping out the future of the marvel universe in his head especially now that it's getting all multiversey. Yeah. He probably likes to think he could call up just about anyone he's worked with before and be like, then you want to pop in for a 15 minute cameo here and there? And then probably be like, well, yeah, I mean, a fact check would be nice too, by the way. But sure, I'll do yeah. you a solid anyway. Yeah. I'm that, in sounds, town. that sounds fun. And he might think, well, I'd, I, he might end up in a position where he, he feels like he can't ring up certain actors now. Yeah. And so he, he doesn't seem. Um, particularly happy but it kind of it got me thinking josh about kind of the broader context of bob chapek's leadership of disney oh. and and i think you've seen a lot of uh commentary online certainly on on the park rush twitter feed you know the people the park rush account follows um checking in on that checking in on like the disney world subreddits and things like that yeah. or even you know forum posts and, and discussion threads about the scarlet hansen news specifically and you do see the occasional comment of people being like see we told you <laughs> Uh, all the moaning yeah. that we were doing for years about Bob Chapek and how he was running the theme park division. Now everyone else is about to find out that he's all about that dollar. Yeah. And I don't know, really, like, do you have concerns f as I do potentially for how Bob Chapek, how we've seen Bob Chapek run the theme parks over the years might sort of translate to how he runs the overall business? Yeah, is this... So I guess the... The original contract decision wouldn't have been his, right? That would have been under... I don't know how long this has been going on for. Well, I guess as of last this time last year, or, you know, last spring, I suppose, Black Widow was still earmarked for a cinema-only release. I mean, the, yeah. the very concept of this premiere access thing is only as a result of coronavirus. Yeah. And uh, Chapek, what, he came in around the sort of not far off... It was around pandemic time, wasn't it? Like, that I just stepped yeah, down. Yeah, officially, yeah. So, I don't know, this feels very much to me like an invention of Bob Chapek to an extent. Yeah. I certainly don't think it's something that he would have um, that he would have backed away from. The question is, would, obviously, if I, Iger was there when the contract was signed, would Iger honour the uh, contract now? Like, in a sort of, you know, I'll give you, you know, a cut because of how we've had to handle it because of COVID. Well, Josh, if there's anything I've learned from the Imagineering story, it's that Bob Iger is an absolutely perfect human who would never yes. wrong anybody and wants what's best for absolutely everyone on earth. So, of course he'd honour the contract. Of course. Uh, actually, uh, talk about Bob Iger in the uh, potential book series that we always keep potentially offering. He has written a book about 15 years in charge of 
The Great House of Mouse. Yes, I, um, I know of this. Apparently, it is a good read. Yeah, I want to read it. Mm. Looking forward to it. But I, 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 yeah, like I said, I, my kind of thought, and maybe I was looking, reading too much into this, was just whether this Scarlett Johansson situation was kind of representative of the direction Disney could be going. And, and two other things that have kind of emerged in the past week or two that kind of added fuel to this particular fire for me was one thing that we talked about a few weeks ago was the uh, concept of premier access at Disneyland Paris yeah. to skip queues and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, the prices have emerged for those since we spoke about it, and they are insane. Yeah, I heard those on a podcast. I was listening to the um, Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill and Lynn Tester, and, uh, yeah, they... Uh, oof. They don't, they don't sound like things I want to buy at all. No, they sound absolutely mad. And, I, I, you know, I think it kind of... The fact that they couldn't even come up with a new bit of branding for them, you know, it's almost like Premier Access has become this kind of overarching name for ripping you off. <laughs> that's, that's, that's translation. You put, you put ripping me off into Google Translate and ask it to spit out the Disney for it and it comes out and says Premier Access. Yeah. But some of these are absolutely mad, right? So these are some screenshots that I'm looking at from the Disneyland Paris app. So here we go. So Star Wars Hyperspace Mountain, a premier access pass for this particular ride, which um, would uh, ask you to come back between half 10 and half 11 in the morning. It's nine euros per guest. So, you know, you're a family of four. Per guest? Yeah. It's madness. It's absolutely crazy. So that's 36 euros for a family of four One to ride. guarantee themselves a spot on Hyperspace Mountain during that particular time slot. Wow. Uh, you've got some others here. Star Tours, eight euro. Autopia, eight euro. Uh, Big Thunder Mountain, 12 euro. Peter Pan's Flight and Buzz Lightyear Laser Blast, 15 euro per person. It's absolutely incredible. It's... Uh, it's really so, madness. Sorry, and I don't what? know how they justify it, to be honest. Fifteen euros a person for a for a shooter for the yeah, uh, which we had no issue getting on. No. Anyway. No. So, I mean, you'd be mad to buy a fast pass for this anyway. Yeah. Pre- Bloody hell! They're calling it a stupid poxy thing. Premier access. Premier access. Premier access. Premier access. Yeah, it's madness. I. I, I, I really hope it fails because you can guarantee that if they see enough interest in this, they are absolutely going to bring it into their other 100%. parks. And maybe I'm naive uh, and uh, and a little bit ignorant, but I always remember growing up playing the Roller Coaster Tycoon games and always being somewhat baffled when, by default, the rides would cost money to go on. I'd be like, right, yeah. what kind of theme park would do that? Yeah. You know, you pay enough to come in, the rides are free. But, but They're just the, part of the fun. The theme park was often free, right, in... I guess so, but my approach was always jack up the entrance fee and all the rides are free. That's how these things work. That is a a good thing, Park. You know, you pay enough money to come in here and then everything once you're in here, I mean, other than, you know, food and whatever, uh, you don't pay more to experience. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, and I know this isn't literally, hey, you've got to pay to come on this ride. You can queue up, obviously, but it it just doesn't sit right with me at all. And... um, just feels really dirty and i hope it fails yeah um i will say that there are parks in the uk that where you don't have to pay to enter the park right but you do pay per ride uh, i believe well the last time i was there blackpool pleasure beach you had to pay per ride you had like a token system and uh there was one in essex 
I can't remember what it is. Essex? There's one, There's another one that I've been to where you had, it was a token-based system rather, so you, you didn't have to pay to enter, but you had to pay per ride. But you didn't have to pay twice. That's the important thing there. Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, the the reason this feels so, so dirty in this instance to me is that, like I've kind of said, already paying to get into these Disney parks is extortionate. Yeah. You know, and and I'm able to justify it to myself uh, because, you know, I do enjoy it. And I think that it is possible within the context of Disney prices and that, you know, that context must be stressed here. It is possible to kind of come to a decent deal for yourself. Our Disneyland Paris trip was a decent example. I think yeah. we all came away from that feeling like we'd actually got more than our money's worth because mm. we were, you know, we stayed in the David Crockett Ranch and yeah, for for not too much money. And I'd have to go back and check exactly how much it cost us, but for a few nights uh, on the ranch, with including access to the parks and and a decent amount of food and drink included, that felt okay but you know i'm just imagining envisaging in my head kind of your worst case scenario which is a family of four um i've had to save up maybe just to have a day trip to disneyland uh and then on top of that it, it as i say if you've saved for a long time just to do this one day trip it's something of a once in a lifetime thing for you then of course you're going to want to do everything because yep. you don't know when you'll be able to go back and then all of a sudden you have this kind of carrot dangling in front of you of, well, if you want to guarantee that you get to do everything, you're probably going to have to pay up for these Premier Access passes. And then all of a sudden it's just getting truly insane. Um, and I, and I, I just feel like it's wrong. Uh, yeah. I, I just, you know, and uh, they're a business, you know, ultimately their main interest is to make money. But, uh, you know, customer loyalty does count for something i think and uh you know we 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 as nerds pay a lot of attention to the games industry which is i think in some ways like not a bad example of what can happen when you like push it and and kind of screw over a fan base you know you see yeah. how many times can you think of like a video game that has essentially tried to mug you off with extra purchases and things like that and generally speaking those games end up having to row back on what they're doing yeah um, and I wonder if you might see something somewhat similar happen if Disney pushed this, especially in some of their more kind of marquee parks. Yeah, well, yeah, but I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think I don't see it happening. You know, um, Disney go from strength to strength film wise, um, and if they double down on those IPs in the parks, which I think they you know they'll continue to do, people want to go and see their characters in their you know in the parks. Um, and it's not, I don't know, there, there's a it's, a, it's something that you're just not going to get away with from, I don't think, as a general public. It's just where we are as a society going. I don't like it. Well. Make the society stop. <laughs> we can but dream, Tom. Uh, and if that wasn't enough, Josh, uh, another way Disney want to get some fat stacks of cash out of people is the Disney Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel Experience, oh, which boy. is opening up next year just by Hollywood Studios outside Galaxy's Edge. We've heard about this over the last year or two, seen more stuff trickle out. Uh, I think generally speaking, there's been a sense of cautious optimism, uh, but I think for a lot of people, any expectation that they might have had of maybe checking this thing out for themselves one day uh, was uh, cast into the fires of Mustafar itself uh, when yeah. Disney announced the pricing. Uh, you've got um, you've got some of this pricing in front of you here, Josh. Yeah. And and uh, well, 
it's uh it's insane yeah it is insane um i i can't quite i mean people are going to pay this this is kind of the mental thing but it is kind of mental so we're starting at more than four thousand eight hundred dollars for a couple um right and nearly six grand for a family of four according to the disney website yeah and this is for a two nights day two nights day which is um again listening to the disney dish podcast uh with uh jim hill and lynn tester uh it is literally set up like a cruise yes uh once you've got through all the pricing shenanigans i do have the full itinerary here and um yeah i'd be curious to know if you think it's worth the money (laughs) (laughs) um well knowing what this is um, we'll go for it in a second Uh, i'm gonna go no okay fair enough uh as someone who doesn't care for cruises anyway no i can see more value in an actual cruise oh yes for sure i mean the actual cruises are are no doubt cheaper than this anyway uh Uh, and longer yeah Mm. yeah it's uh it's madness i mean six grand for a family of four is uh i mean if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, oh, how much is this going to cost then? I would have chucked you a, a, a kind of massive number almost as a joke. Yeah. And I'm not sure my brain even would have reached six grand. I th- like That is so expensive. I'm not sure even in my sort of most cynical dreams I could have conjured up <laughs> six grand for this. It's it's truly insane. And what what is kind of annoying for me is that, like, who who does this appeal to most? I mean, it's kids, right? I mean... People like me, massive nerds, I, I kind of on, on paper kind of think I'd get a kick out of this. But if I'm being honest with myself, I feel like it's probably the type of thing where I'd run out of patience with it within a couple of hours. Uh, yeah. You know, if you truly are, if, tr- if everyone truly has to stay in Star Wars character for this whole time and everyone is like truly acting like you're on a Star Cruiser and you end up in a situation where you're like, where are the toilets? Can you just... <laughs> Can you just tell me where the toilets are? And you have some weird alien person trying to give you directions in, what is it, Arabesh or whatever, yeah. and you're just sitting there like, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just tell me where they are. Just let me off. Let me off. Where, yeah. you, where are the escape pods? Yeah. Let me off this hellhole, please. Um, so it's kids. It's little kids that are going to get the most fun out of this. And yeah. looking at the itinerary, I it think feels big kids like, as well. But... Yeah, sure. But the itinerary feels like it's built for children frankly yeah you know you know you look at some of the stuff that's on here it's uh you know lightsaber training it's it's dinner with live music it's uh one of the things that they highlight are unexpected story moments yeah it's a little unclear what they might be so um on the disney dish podcast they had a uh with like specific times of when things would happen during your two-day stay right and those unexpected were scheduled <laughs> like 15 minutes for unexpected story moment right uh Brilliant. not really unexpected then is it mate no not not in particular i'd imagine what they mean by that is that it's almost like star tours in a way where like you maybe they have about six unexpected story moments and you don't know which one you're going to get yeah and uh it literally will be different darth uh, vader time enters the scene because oh. you'll only be able to afford this one yeah <laughs> darth vader enters the hotel corridor just murders everyone in cold blood <laughs> wanders off again yeah that would be uh, that would be brutal but um yeah uh it feels like what was i getting on with yeah it feels like this is for kids and the prices are such an enormous obstacle to your average family with kids who might want to do this 
that that just feels really wrong to me. Like, I don't doubt this was expensive for Disney yeah. and is considered to be a very premium experience. But when I think of, like, who this it's... appeals to the most and how many of those people will be able to feel like they can afford this in a responsible manner... Yeah, it's like they want they want to make profit in six months, not yeah six years, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. They don't see it as a long-term... Well, it's long-term, but it's long-term profit, but very quickly getting to profit. Which... Mm. You know, maybe it's like a capacity thing to an extent as well. And I get it. Like, you look at... Us, I'm sure they've done the numbers and looked at some spreadsheets and feel like this is the right price to go for. But I'm... I don't know. It's... Uh... Do you know... You might not know how many rooms there are on this? Like... I don't know. So let's say there's a hundred rooms. Mm. That's uh, what's that? That's sixty, six hundred grand. Oh, I don't if know. It's a family of four. You're asking me to do maths, and every two days, it's a dangerous thing to ask me to do. Six grand plus two zeros is six hundred grand. Okay. Per two days. Uh, yeah. That sounds like a lot of money to me. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, that's, more than enough, I would suggest. That's an assumption that there's a hundred rooms that take four, yeah. uh, a family of four in each room, yeah. right? Um, and that also, these are the starting prices. Mm. There will be higher prices for more yeah. premium uh, rooms, right? I yeah. guess. Yeah, and uh, you know, this <laughs> it does get you included entrance to uh, Galaxy's Edge. You'll be pleased to know. And pres- is it just Galaxy's Edge? You're allowed to go into the rest of the park. I would, <laughs> I would like to think you can go into the rest of the park. Yes, I, I don't. I guess I don't know for sure. Looking at the itinerary, it's you know it lists things like Star Wars: Rise of the Resistance and Millennium Falcon: Smuggler's Run. My favourite thing about the itinerary, frankly, is that it doesn't mention Star Tours, does it? Uh, it doesn't. No, that is interesting. But another thing is, you know, the fact that you have to do Star Wars Rise of the Resistance on day two. So you don't even get to do it on day one. You only get to do it on day two between 8.45 and 9.30. So you only get to do it once. And you have to do it at such an early point in the morning that it almost implies to me that, you know, they've got to balance this with all the people who are waiting around for their boarding passes. Oh, 8.45, that's probably like so, early magic hours sort of maybe, time, Maybe, right? I guess. I or don't start, know. It just feels but... like it's not even a particularly convenient way of doing that ride. Like, you, When does that ride become something that you can just rock up to as part of your day at Hollywood Studios? Like, Never. Probably never, right? Like At the moment, you've got to go through all this rigmarole of boarding passes and have to get up at 7 in the morning. Well, you have to get up before 7 in the morning. You've got to yeah. be on the app at 7 in the morning ready to try and get on the, on the ride at some point. And even that might not guarantee you a spot. The only way you get... Um, you need a new park, right? Before, I think so. Yeah. Before this becomes a something that you could roughly walk, just walk onto. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I think what you're seeing here is um, existing. You know, parks not built for this level of interest and this level of footfall. Yeah, ultimately, yeah, trying to sustain, trying to sustain 2020 numbers. Yeah. Um, or, well, I guess you know the numbers are are down. That's that's the scary thing, isn't it? Like the numbers technically right now should be kind of down because you've got no in- international guests. Yeah, I think you've still got some form of limited capacity, and yeah, it's still mad. So what's it going to be like? Let's say twenty twenty two is relatively normal. You're going to have absolutely insane numbers in parks built in the nineties. First of October, case. the anniversary starts, right? Yeah. So could be bonkers next year madness i have to say though josh uh my favorite part of this itinerary just because of how it's structured you know it's all you know listed by time obviously and um 
you go for <laughs> you get you know you you go just to give you an example here's like uh, a, a hit of four activities you do lightsaber training followed by droid racing competition followed by build model ship followed by sabac tournament my favorite sequence of events is and this does stretch over two days but it's still quite funny spectacular finale oh of course breakfast <laughs> <laughs> and then launch pod to terminal right get out it's over now you've had your fun move along yeah anyway we need Josh. to do turnover so that we can get the next 600 grand in yeah so where are we going yeah um somewhere between now and uh never right i feared that might be what you would say so yeah um any any final ranting venting to be done about the direction of disney uh, and, and and the pricing of some of these uh, well, activities that, uh, we, that you might be they've announced the new uh annual pass program for disneyland oh brilliant are these are these very reasonably priced uh, uh no mate i, I mean no. i don't i can't say that i know the difference between these and the previous uh annual pass right. tiers um but the lowest tier uh, is 400 bucks for the year you get two reservations you can hold two reservations at a time mm -hmm. so you can book two days you have to book for a start that's the main thing yeah with this new annual pass you can't just rock up any day you want you have to book there's only 147 weekdays that you're available to go on there are certain like blocks that you like you can't go in at all but you do get your 10 percent merchandise food and beverage discounts oh well there we go yeah uh, Bargain. So that's the Imagine Key. That's only available to Southern California residents. residents. Okay. Uh, the top one, the Dream Key, is fourteen hundred dollars. The Dream Key. Dream Key. They're all called keys, by the way. Imagine okay. Key, Enchant Key, Believe Key, Kingdom Dream Hearts tie-in. Yes, clearly. Uh, you get, you can hold six reservations at once. Mm -hmm. You get twenty percent off on select merchandise. Oh wow! And fifty percent off select food and beverage. Free parking. Free parking. That's a big one, to be fair. Um, and that's available all year round. You can book whenever you want, but you have to book. I don't think it's terrible, but uh, yeah. uh, they have rolled back some things that like you don't get the uh, photo pass anymore. Oh, that's a shame. Um, and there's a couple of other things you don't get. And I think parking is only available on the top level. I mean, to be fair, I think you know the photo passes are becoming you know less and less appealing. Frankly, I mean, again, this, they they almost feel a bit like a relic of a. Of yeah, a, of an era when not everybody had a pretty good camera in their pocket. Mm. The the um, not the photos that they take are pretty stellar still. Yeah, like, like yeah, we got the photo pass one year. I think it was just included in our like two week four part pass that we had, and it's fun. Like we, it's a nice album. It's probably the nicest Florida photo album. You know, among the nicest Florida photo albums that we've ever that we've that we've got on you know our computers at home is the one that features all the photo pass pictures, but. Yeah, I don't think it's some sort of essential yeah. element of the trip. It's a nice to have, I would say. If you book a reservation, you have to turn up. If you have three no-shows in a 90-day period, mm. you will get banned for 30 days. Or your reservation... Oh, wow. You won't be able to book reservations for 30 days. Right. Um, that is one thing. Um, and also, with this, a lot of people have been saying that with currently, obviously, we have no annual pass in Disneyland, California... Um, the parks have been much nicer to be in because you right. know, just had people going there to just hang out. Yeah. Um, so maybe this solves that problem. Maybe the parks will be generally nicer overall because you don't want to just have loads of people just milling around 
holding up queue lines and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, you know, just back on that photo pass thing, you know, because these passes or these keys, sorry, yes, ultimately on. are for people that go again and again and again. Uh, they're not gonna. The photo passes for people that you know are for families that are on holiday, really. Yes. You know who want to remember the trip uh, when you go in as regularly as you need to to justify having one of these keys. Uh, yeah, you're not gonna want a photo pass, really, are you? Uh, no but yeah I mean yeah I think it says a lot that those are by far the most reasonable prices we have discussed on this <laughs> on this podcast so far and I think a lot of people might bat an eye at those as well and, and think oh they're a bit expensive um, but it's where we are I guess it's where we are damn you Bob Chapek ah. how long do you think he lasts do you think as long you, as he wants you reckon yeah you, I reckon is there no chance of because uh, ultimately he kind of does still answer to I go right like he's yeah. chairman yeah but it's it's a relatively hands off role yeah he's chairman of the board so he's like the person who makes decisions on behalf of the investors right right um, so again if Chapek starts leading Disney in the wrong direction and they start losing money on the stock market mm. then yeah Chapek's out Okay. And Bob Biger would be the one that tells him he's fine. So, like, the stock market kind of, you know, obviously it's difficult to see a situation where Disney are ever struggling in that sense, but would, like, repeated PR trouble be enough to um, if, give someone the boot in that situation? Because, you know, when you're a company like Disney, obviously, you, you know, if you want to look at you want to be cold and hard about it, they're, they're, they're as evil a corporation as any other. But yeah, they do. I think just because of their background, the IP that they own, and all that kind of stuff that the businesses that they're involved in, they they probably do care even more than most corporations about their image and their PR. And even if it's blatantly obvious that they don't really care much about the customer, because look at these prices, they like to try to really do as much as they can to really pretend that they do. Yeah, and if that is compromised in any way, that look would that be enough? Do you think to? I think maybe. Um, I I think you, realistically, you'd have it'd have to be something that's that the shareholders believe uh, would affect the share price. Um, and like, I don't think this argument with Scott Johansson is going to affect share price. Most people, my my parents don't really know about it that much. Mm. Um, it's not going to stop my niece and nephews from watching the Black Widow on Premier Access. Um, you know they're looking to watch it this weekend on Premier Access. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. The thing will be uh, with Black Widow, for example, was that better value, or did Disney make better profit off of that from having Premier Access than right. from having it in cinemas? If it turns out that having it in cinemas uh, is the better value there, but for some reason Chopek decides to just put everything on Premier Access, mm. then the shareholders would have an issue. Yeah, I, from what I can tell, and I think this is this bears out uh, for all the big blockbusters that have come out this year so far. Black Widow had like a pretty strong opening weekend because that's where you catch, you know, your, your biggest fans. Yeah. Uh, but then like a massive drop off because your more casual cinema goers aren't going to the cinema. Right? Yeah, and I think I think that was always going to happen. There's a lot mm. of people out there go, I can't bother to go to the cinema. I just want I'd rather watch it on my sofa. Yeah. Because they don't care about films. <sighs> Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, we could do a whole podcast about this, how I just feel like every form of entertainment now has just been kind of neutered down to just uh, to just be content, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone, I guess, for sort of uh, embracing it to an extent. You know, I kind of mindlessly consume, 
just about any Star Wars series I can get my hands on at this point. No one would try to make an argument for much of that being some sort of high art, but it just does feel like... A lot of the TV shows are better Star Wars stuff than Star Wars, but... Uh, yeah, I will listen to that. Uh, I will listen to that case, absolutely. But, yeah, it just feels like... there's a There is a lot of crap on yeah. Netflix and Amazon Originals. And everything is the best show ever, and it's actually not. No, I know. Like Everything's kind of average. People don't necessarily... You know, it, it always felt to me like you had to kind of... You took a punt on certain things, but really, like... I kind of would always seek out something that I thought would be really good to an extent when it came to like picking a new TV show to embrace or whatever. But now, yeah, it's just like, it feels like you're just on kind of this endless tremble of stuff. Yeah. Like you put something on on Netflix and before you've had a chance to think, it's all played the next six episodes, you know, like, I, I guess that's my Saturday. I'll have forgotten what the hell I just yeah. watched by this time next week. And there was a point at the beginning of this year where I had, the, I was doing that on Netflix and then I realised... Actually, most of this is garbage. I, I mean, don't know why I'm watching it. Like, I'm watching be, it just because it's there. Yeah, I mean... For Netflix cancelled. Yeah. The, the the closest I feel like... I, the, the, the unlimited pass that we have for the cinema is kind of... That's what that is for me, kind of. That's kind of my Netflix, in a way. Right, And yeah. at least with that, like, I make a bit of a day of it. It gets me out of the house, you know. I get to see mates. I might have some food out, that kind of thing. It's a bit more of an experience, but for a lot of people now, the idea of watching a film, watching a TV show has just become an excuse to kind of sit mindlessly on the sofa. And I get it, you know, I'm not judging. Maybe I am slightly, but I hope that that doesn't start to compromise the film experience, you yeah. know, and, uh, and the TV experience. To I've, an extent. I've very much become aware and like tried to be a lot more selective of the TV shows that I watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, still watching. You know, Brooklyn Nine Nine's just restarted. I always love that show, so I'm rewatching. I'm still watching that. Hard Knocks, a show about the NFL, is big big favorite in this house. So I'm, that's a must see. But kind of everything else, just whatever. Yeah, it's kind of. Been, it's, I, I'm kind of trying to do the same with video games now as well. Like, I don't feel like I need to touch everything. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the games are selective. quite samey, so I and like yeah, so many video games are just doing exactly the same things these days. Yeah, even when they are not even good. Like, why is every video game? Well, not every one in three video games now has a menu system that operates like a mouse. Even when you're in a even when you're on a console. No, no. I mean, like Destiny is popular, but not because it. Not because, not because of, it did that. Yeah, Why does everyone else experience. feel like they need to do it? It's bizarre. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of video games, Nintendo, you heard of them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a Nintendo World at Universal Studios Japan, as we know. Sure is. Uh, it's coming to various other Universal parks around the world over the coming years. Uh, but uh, an accident, Josh. <gasps> Someone almost lost a life, you Sucker could say. Blur. Yeah. Um, a... Goomba, or I should say a stack of Goombas, fat stack of Goombas, uh, plummeted to the ground. Wow. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So this report is via Eurogamer, who have um, written up a story uh, based on uh, a report from Asahi Shumbun Digital, and I apologise if I mispronounced that. Um, I'll just read straight from this. It's kind of crazy. So Nintendo World at Universal Studios Japan was forced to suspend several rides uh, yesterday, which as of recording, I think that would have been Wednesday of this week. Um, 
after a stack of Goomba characters plummeted to the ground. Uh, no injuries were reported, most importantly, but the Goomba statue broke free from its normal position atop the Yoshi's Adventure ride. The Goombas fell just next to the ride's track, close to where a Yoshi car was passing by, but not directly onto anywhere guests could have been. Uh, I mean, that's kind of crazy. They think they think high winds could have caused this. Bit of a worry, really, that high winds were enough to uh, knock over yeah, a, a, a ride prop that presumably had it collided with a Yoshi could have been very, very serious indeed. Yeah, and it sounds like it dropped close enough to the track that if you were a if you were an unsuspecting rider, you probably were in for a bit of a nasty shot, but equally you might have just thought it was part of the ride. <laughs> like, oh, wow, look how close the Goombas got to treading on us. It's like, no, uh, that was not supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. There is video of the kind of aftermath. And yeah, those Goombas got pretty damn close to that Yoshi. So uh, enough to put you off, Josh? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I've been on Smiler at Alton Towers, so... Uh, yes, that is a very good point. That is a very good point. Uh, but yeah, uh, various attractions were closed for the rest of the day, presumably uh, over concerns about those high winds. I guess, you know, theme parks generally are, I find, frankly, maybe err on the side of caution a lot of the time when it comes to potential weather threats. And uh, so I'm surprised that they feel like high winds were uh, what caused this. Um, because it would have seemed to me as though the ride would therefore not have been operating at the time. But yeah, obviously maybe they underestimated the uh, the weather situation. And uh, yeah, obviously just thankful that no one was hurt. But pretty scary situation, I'm sure. Yeah, for those sure. That were there. Uh, let's pivot now, Josh, to uh, Deutschland. Uh, a couple of new rides uh, that we just wanted to talk about very briefly because it's uh, kind of got me chomping at the bit for a Deutschland trip, to be honest. Deutschland, uh, Deutschland. Been talking about, you know, potentially a bit of a European thing part road trip. Yeah. I think based on what we've seen over the past week or so from uh, uh, a couple of these thing parks in Germany, uh, a German road trip might just do the job, Josh. All over it. Let's yeah. go. So, Fantageland. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that one first. Pretty sure that's not how, but whatever. Uh, well, you know, tough. Uh, they've opened a new land called Rukba, uh, and they've got a new ride, Fly which is uh, kind of an engineering marvel, I would suggest. it. I, I, not necessarily because it looks like the most groundbreaking roller coaster in, in and of itself, but just the way in which it intertwines what, which, with what is a fairly compact land yeah. and lends the whole place with this pretty incredible kinetic energy. It's, uh, That's what's most impressive to me. Really gives me strong China Chocolate Factory vibes. Oh, yes. It's very sort of steampunk. Yeah, it? the Johnny Depp China Chocolate Factory uh, uh, with, the, with the music. Yeah. Shame about the film. Yeah. But the, uh, the, the theming of that film is very much uh, the theming of this, the area of this theme park. It's great. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And the entrance is very diagonally at Universal Florida. Yes. Uh, you kind of go through this sort of little... Well, you, you go through this little passageway and then come out the other side and it opens up into this, yeah, as you say, very steampunk-looking land. And the roller coaster it, is kind of all over the shot. Like, everywhere you look, you can see this roller coaster yeah. um, twisting around various buildings, looping under bridges and 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 passageways uh it looks really really cool it's a uh, vacoma flying coaster 
Uh, it has two launches. And like I say, they're not necessarily considered to be, you know, the most intense, the most powerful of launches. It's not considered to be this sort of necessary, this masterpiece of, of, of thrills necessarily. But like I say, the most impressive thing for me is just how how it intertwines with the land and um mm. it's very it's it seems like it fits a lot into a very small space and, and i would highly recommend you go and check it out if you haven't seen it yeah and they describe it as um a ride that truly uh, mimics flying mm. um compared to other flying coasters from like bnm yeah yeah uh we're just reading a write-up on theme park insider and and they say with some confidence that it's the most immersive, highly themed roller coaster in Europe. They say um, it beats out Space Mountain, which of course now is Hyperspace Mountain. As we spoke yes. about a couple of weeks ago after watching Behind the Attraction, um, the Hyperspace Mountain theming has, I guess, undermined somewhat the kind of original vision for, for that version of Space Mountain. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I, I could buy that. This does look like it is, uh, is is wonderfully themed. As you say, the music's great. I like the overall aesthetic of the land and the coaster fits into that really well. So um, I, I was familiar with Fantasyland. It's somewhere I would like to go. I, I think, you know, Europa Park was always kind of the one that I really, really wanted to do in Germany. But seeing this, um, yeah, Fantasyland's right up there as well for me now. Yeah, and I like they call out as well that you get three different ride experiences, ride sensations, depending on where you sit. Mm. Uh, right. Rows one to three offer an experience full of airtime. Rows eight to ten, which is obviously the back, offer a forceful ride. Uh, while now four to seven offer somewhere between the two. <clears throat> um, yeah, uh, I front and all back. Arguably, back is often my favourite place to sit on some rides. Yeah. So. Awesome. No, very keen to get there. Uh, and then Josh, you were showing me just before we started. Another German theme park with a new roller coaster. Yes. Uh, again, a Vacoma creation. Uh, this one being a suspended coaster. Though. Yeah, this is at uh, Erlebnis Park. Uh, Nailed it. In, Nailed it in one. In Klebron, Germany. Nice. Uh, yeah, Vacoma really coming in strong here. Once again, this looks really good fun. Um, sort of suspended. Uh, each seat looks like kind of roughly like a suspended uh it's a two by two sort of setup or a two by ten setup, I guess. Um, lap bar only looks loops and flips and things like that. It looks like a really good, and it intertwines with a family coaster, which looks like a runaway train. Yeah, that also goes backwards. Yeah, which is great. It looks awesome. Yeah, I I, I really really like what they've done with it, and and I was struck as well when you showed me the video. Just I mean, it helps that it's a really beautiful day. Uh, yeah. on which this video was recorded but just just a really nice looking theme park certainly i mean this area at least where these coasters happen to be just looks great it, you know, it, it beats the uh the grayness of uh, a thought park yeah yeah but the, you know there's a there's almost a sense because of how green it is in this particular part of the park it, it kind of looks like almost the theme park has just kind of been built on what was already really like a beautiful a beautiful landscape like you think of other theme parks and you know i love it for love theme parks for part of this reason but you obviously feel so immersed in where the theme park wants you to think you are yeah you know whether you're in tomorrowland or adventureland or a marvel island or wherever you might be and you can kind of completely lose sight of where you actually are i.e florida or paris or wherever it might be whereas this yeah this kind of just feels like it's been dropped in the middle of the countryside i kind of like it yeah i'm, I'm into it I'm fully into it love it so 
There is um, not a part of this, but I'm pretty sure there's another one in Germany that's like the longest roller coaster in the world or something, roughly speaking. It's like a runaway train that just goes into the forest. Nice. And then kind of roughly comes back eventually. I like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm game for this. We should do this. And helped by the fact that... Um, Germany is now on the green list for us, which oh, wunderbar. didn't necessarily or doesn't necessarily make a massive difference for us because double uh, we, we were double baby. vaccinated anyway. So even when it was amber, it's essentially the same rules and regulations that apply. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think it being on the green list just makes it feel all the safer, you know, to go. And um, I think that they have kind of reciprocated in terms of making it relatively easy for, for, for Brits to come in as well so yeah maybe one to to keep an eye on uh, to be honest i mean the main thing putting you off of a of a holiday to europe right now i would suggest a kind of like queues at airports because i don't know if you've heard this brexit malarkey yeah, God. <laughs> if, you're yeah a, but, if you're driving doesn't matter but passport stamps so and you get passport stamps which um yes i found out from a friend who who was just traveling from the uk to germany uh in the last week or so made me aware of the fact that because we are we now aren't in the eu you get stamps in your passport in eu countries which genuinely was the mo the, the, the first brexit thing i'd heard about which genuinely made me go oh that's oh, cool awesome i should have put that on the side of yeah. the bus well up for that yeah i might have had a fleeting <laughs> moment of oh maybe i should vote for no no no, 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 no. no. but it might have got me for a brief moment for a, for a second yeah so no uh germany very keen to uh, go back. I, I have been before, and it's it's really lovely, but never been to a German theme park. Um, so those are on the list for me. Hopefully for you as well, Josh, because I, I, yeah. I need you to drive. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I don't think I've got anything else. No. Have, have you? No, that is it for me. Excellent. We should make a move. We should go see these two, I'm sure, excellent movies. Yeah. Uh, but thanks very much for listening. We will be back next week. If you want to keep up in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Park Rush Podcast. You can email us podcast at parkrush.com. You can find the show notes for each episode at newhighscore.co.uk. You can also find the podcast uh, episodes themselves. And of course, if you haven't subscribed already, you can do so on your preferred podcasting app. Take it easy out there. Get jabbed if you haven't already. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>